Thank you for having me, and thank you for praying me out of the sickbed. It's wonderful to be healthy again. I think it was just too much crisscrossing. Hot countries, cold countries, humid. One of the places in El Salvador had a volcano about two miles away from where I was preaching. It's hot there all the time. They have no hot water in the showers there. They just have a cold water, and because the water's never cold, so that's the way. And then from there to Arizona, where it was dry, not humid, and they had this huge air conditioner suspended from the middle of the chapel, huge, like a huge white box. And I didn't know it, but the first day, there was a three-day conference, and the first day I sat on the side where all the cold air goes. So I think that's what took me down. But at any rate, I'm back. Thank the Lord. So... Let's turn to 1 Peter, chapter 4, and while you're turning to that, I'll give you greetings from the brethren in Seville, and especially my wife, who's super jealous that she can't be here. 1 Peter, chapter 4, and verse 7, we want to think tonight about the subject of prayer. Why we pray. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 7. The word of the Lord says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again we come into your presence and we give thanks for the scripture that we have before us and we confess our need because we are just branches. We are not the vine. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our understanding And to guide our thoughts so that beyond any human voice, we might hear the voice of God speaking to us from this book. And so we commit ourselves into your care and we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Prayer is an act of submission. Not Islamic submission. Proud people don't pray. They sometimes say things like, oh my God. But that doesn't count as a prayer. (laughs) Prayer is a confession of need. We are encouraged to take all of our needs to God in prayer. But people who don't feel a lot of need don't pray as they should. You say, well, I just thank the Lord all of my needs are supplied. Yes, but you live in a world where there is not a single corner of the, this continent or any other where people don't need prayer. So, first of all, you and I need it more than we think we do. But then there are people around us who need it. And I see a lot of children being raised that I didn't know, and now I feel like an old man. The ones I did know are too big. Don't feed them anymore, I told somebody. And the others, by the time I see them again, they'll be doing the same thing. They all need our prayers. They need our prayers. What a world they're growing up in. The end of all things is at hand, the scripture says. That doesn't scare me. Because I know who's in control. But there are a lot of people in this world that need our prayers. And we need prayer. We need prayer for wisdom, and we want to think about that tonight. Prayer is also work, isn't it? This is why a lot of people find it hard to pray. It's hard work. To say your prayers, to just say, uh, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You can say your prayers, but to pray for everything that you need and to pray for other people. I don't know how many times I've had to say, I have to carry a little piece of paper with me because I tell people, they say something and I say, okay, I'll pray for you. And then the fatal thing, you know, a week goes by and somebody comes and says, thank you so much for praying for me about this. Uh, The Lord answered my prayer and I'm just going, oh, I forgot to pray. So pray, write it down. Or the worst case scenario, pray right then. Say, okay, let's pray about this right now. 
then at least you're covered. But um, prayer is also an act of trust. Some people don't pray to God because they trust themselves. They trust their own wisdom. They trust their own experience. They trust their ability to work things out. But when all of that fails, then we pray to somebody who can handle it better than we can. The days that we're living in, we need prayer more than ever because we're living, we have gone complete cycle around and we're living now what in the Western world we have to say is just like the days of the book of Judges. Three times in the book of Judges we read, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Sound familiar? Tolerance, mutual respect, everybody can do what he thinks, what he feels, what works for him. This is the mentality. And look at the world we have made by living that way. We thought it was so wise. No king. No need to consult anybody. Nobody with wisdom. Nobody with authority. Nobody with power. Everybody does what he wants to, what he feels like. And friendships and families and marriages and churches and countries can be destroyed by that attitude. So somebody needs to pray. And the man on the street is not going to pray. We're the ones who are told to pray. Hudson Taylor, uh, no, not Hudson Taylor, uh, George Mueller one time was on a ship. And he was trying to cross uh, to a country, I think it was Ireland, he was trying to get to, and it was completely fogged in. And he got down on his knees to pray. He told the captain of the ship, he said, I have to be there tomorrow morning. He said, I'm going to pray that this fog bank will lift. So the captain got down on his knees with him to pray in the steering room. And he tapped the captain on the shoulder and he said, you don't pray. Don't pray because you don't believe. I'll pray. But the captain was not a Christian. So the captain said he just sat there, just kneeled there and listened to George Mueller pray. And the fog bank lifted and he got to port on time. So prayer, except for the desperate prayer, if you're not a believer, there's one prayer that God wants to hear from you. God be merciful to me, the sinner. What good is it going to do you for God to heal your finances or your body or your relationships and all of that and then you're still going to die and go into a lost eternity? What good would that do? The first thing he wants to do, and he may do those things out of his mercy, but the first thing he wants to do is to take care of your relationship with him and bring you into a place where you can really say without telling a lie, our Father who art in heaven. Because not everybody can say that. So, Peter says, with the end of all things at hand, he, says, he doesn't say worry. He doesn't say join a political party. He doesn't say take more drugs. He says pray. Pray. So, now we'll go over to the book of James, and we're going to look at a few examples of how important prayer should be to us, James chapter 1. And then, before we're done, we want to look at a couple of examples of the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, of people who didn't pray, and what a mess it got them into. James chapter 1, James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. If you knew how many times I have said to God, it's me again, I lack wisdom. This is what prayer is. It's a confession and it's an expression to someone who knows more than we do. People who think they're wise may not pray, but when they really get wise, they will pray. And they'll be wise because they pray. We need wisdom. Now, if we're going to pray for wisdom, we're going to ask the Lord to help us to make decisions, to guide us. How is he going to do that? 
He's not going to give us a dream. He's not going to send an angel. He's given us his word. He speaks to us through this book. It's not about feelings. It's not even so much about circumstances, although the Lord can use those to confirm things. He can open and shut doors. But he has principles to guide us in this book. I don't, I don't know how many years I have said this. I go around the world, preaching in different countries, and everywhere I go, I find people that have been Christians for years and they still haven't read the whole Bible. I don't get it. I don't get it. Now, I know I'm slow, but I read the Bible through six times before I got saved. Now, they told me when I was a young person, you know, when I was 14, 15, they said, you should read the Bible through in a year, two chapters in the morning and two in the evening. You begin in January and you'll finish the end of November. So you got a few extra days there for if you get behind. And uh, I thought it was a good idea. So I read the Bible. Another year, I read it again. Another year, I read it again. Not every year, but I didn't get saved until I was 24. What was I thinking? And I don't know how many times I've read it since then. But if God is going to speak to us through this book, it's not going to be because on the screen in our bedroom, a verse is going to flash up. These are really nice. We should have that. But it, that's not going to happen in your room. That's not going to happen when you're in the shower and you're going to see it on the wall or while you're eating breakfast and it's going to appear to you suddenly. It's going to happen when you open the book and read it. And as you're reading through it, God can take a portion of this book and he can speak to you. And there's two, there's two ways that he speaks to us. One is directly through the book and the other is he has given us, now we're not um, an astronaut floating on the end of an umbilical cord out in space. We belong to a family, a congregation of believers. And God has given men in this congregation, just like right around the world, the responsibility to keep watch for our souls. They're supposed to do it. It doesn't mean we're babies. It doesn't mean we can't read. It doesn't mean we can't think. But it means that he has given them a responsibility and gifted them with the ability to give us counsel from this book. To tell us things from this book that can help us. So we're reading it. And then we have the, the privilege and the responsibility when we're receiving, when we ask and receive, and we should do that. Before you ever take a decision, before you ever get committed, we should say, first of all, to the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom. And then we should go to those people who are keeping watch for our souls, and we should say, I'd like to have your prayers for this matter and any advice that you can give me from the Scripture. Oh, I don't need other people to make my decisions. Nobody's going to make your decision. You have the right. We all have the right to make our own decisions and to suffer the consequences of them. So why not ask? Why not ask? Say, so, well, I don't know what they're going to tell me. Well, you open your Bible. And make sure that what they're saying do like the Bereans. Check everything by the book. They're going to tell you what the book says. And oftentimes, you're going to hear the exact same thing that you were reading in the book. Isn't that funny how that works? So we, we pray because we need wisdom. We don't even know what we're going to eat for breakfast tomorrow. How far in advance can you see? Sometimes we think, as Christians, we think of prayer, especially, I don't know if it's just younger people. I remember I did it when I was young. Um, but I think older people do it too. We think of prayer as arm wrestling. We get hold of God by the arm, you know, we say, all right, Lord, I want you to give me this, give me this. And we're trying to twist his arm and convince him to give it to us. I'm not going to eat if you don't give me this girl I want to marry, this girl I want to have. I'm not going to eat if you don't give me this man for my husband. I'm not going to eat if you don't give me this job. And we're wrestling with God. We, we think we're wrestling with God. We're using prayer to get our way to convince God to do what we want to do. Well, is it okay to ask God for things? Of course it is. 
What does he say? Let your requests be made known unto God. That's right here in the book. But the first request, the starting place for all requests is this one. Wisdom. Wisdom. Because wisdom is not incarnate in us. We don't know how people are going to be a year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now. We don't know how the job's going to be. We don't know how the economy's going to be. We don't know what our health is going to be like. We don't know. There's so many things that we don't know. We couldn't even write them down in books. Books are where we write down the things we do know. We need to ask. I remember dear William McDonald, he used to pray when he went out to buy a pair of shoes. He would say, I believe the Lord's interested in what kind of shoes I buy. I believe he'll guide me even for that. So was he like freaked out? He couldn't buy a pair of shoes? No. He just wanted the Lord's guidance. He believed that God was interested in the ordinary things of everyday life. That he cares about those. And why does it cost us so much to just stop first before we get into it and ask the Lord, for wisdom. If any man lack wisdom. And you see, here's the thing. This is the irony of Scripture. God is saying this from heaven. If any man lack wisdom. And as he's looking down at the earth, what does he see? He sees a whole planet full of people who lack wisdom. <laughs> and he can probably count on one hand the people who recognize it. If any man lack wisdom, he says with irony, let him ask of God. God's willing to be asked. And not only that, he's willing to give us the answer. He's not a miser. He says, it shall be given him. He'll do it. So this is prayer for wisdom. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is understanding how to use knowledge correctly. And sometimes we know things and we just can't figure out how to do them. We can't see how it's going to work out. So ask God. Ask for wisdom. James chapter 4. Verse 13. James chapter 4, verse 13. 13 to 17. Go to now you that say... Uh, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now that last verse in particular we often use to talk to people about the gospel. You know that sin is not only doing things that are wrong, sin is not doing all of the good that you know to do. It's the sin of omission. But in the, and that's true, but in the context when you read these verses from 13 to 17, these things are all connected. And this last verse is connected to the verses that go before it. Why do I know that? Look at how verse 17 begins. The word is therefore. He's concluding an, a thought. He's saying, so in conclusion, this is what that means. That's why uh, the old brothers used to say, when you're studying the Bible, whenever you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. Think about what it's connecting to. So he's talking here, one of the things he's talking about is to seek the Lord's will and to be dependent upon him when you make plans. He says, now, if you're boasting, what kind of boasting would you be doing in verse 16? Well, I'm an adult. I can make my own decisions. I don't need to ask anyone. I'm not a little child. God gave us a brain to think with. So I can make a decision. I can just go do this and I'll just tell the others and they can pray for me. There, I made my own decision. 
See, we're not a cult, you know, where we have to ask permission to do every little thing. This is the kind of language you hear. But to boast in human knowledge, to boast in human wisdom, to boast in the ability to run one's own life is to do exactly what the Lord says here you shouldn't do. You ought to say, what should you say? If the Lord will, we will live, first of all. Because the book of Job says, God in whose hand is the breath of all living. He's giving you every one of those breaths. Every time you take a breath, he's opening his hand and he's putting that breath in your nostrils. You breathe out, and here comes another one. God in whose hand is the breath of all living. All he has to do is this. That's how fragile our life is. If the Lord will, we will live and do this or that. Now, this thought brings us to the thought of praying that God's will will be done. Praying to know his will, which is what true wisdom is, and to know how to do his will. These are things that we should pray about for ourselves because it's no good to say if the Lord will we shall live and do this or that if we're not talking to him about it. What should I do, Lord? Why do I have life? Why do you let me live? What do you want me to do? Well, we'll just go today or tomorrow to such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. I don't know how many times over the years I've heard people say, they come in and they say, well, I just want to announce to the church that we're leaving, we're going off to such and such an area, and we, I've decided to do this, and, and uh, the last thing they say before they go out the door is, if I've offended anyone, I'm sorry, and out they go. I've seen this movie so many times. And they say to you, don't worry, brother, I won't forget the Lord. I won't leave the Lord. I'll still meet with Christians. Mm, when they start saying that, what it often means is, I made up my mind what I'm going to do. I made my plans. I don't want any advice. I just want you to give me the blessing. So I reach around in my pocket looking for that thing that they think that we all have in the Lord's work, and that is a little rubber stamp where we can take it out and go, approved. Go right on. You know, here, <laughs> approved. That's what they think. But that's all we're here for. Just say, oh, well, the Lord bless you. Well, of course we want the Lord to bless them. I would love for the Lord to bless every single person here tonight. But blessing is found in God's will, not in our will. God does not invite us to, to make a decision and to go off and do whatever. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go live there. I'm going to uh, just pray for me. And uh, I'm going, you should say, if the Lord will. You should invoke the Lord before the decision, not after it. You put him before the decision because to do otherwise is to rejoice in your boasting. And that's treading on thin ice. To go without consulting, to move, to plan, without counting on the Lord, without praying and seeking his will and his guidance and wisdom from him is to invite disaster. And we're going to look at a couple of cases of that in just a minute. But I'll say it again. We don't know the future. You don't even know what you're going to eat for breakfast tomorrow. Well, maybe some of the ladies do. And they, they know what everybody else is going to eat. But the rest of us, we're hopeless. All I know is Sylvia's feeding me more food than I can eat. <laughs> but I don't know what I'm getting tomorrow. Bless her heart. I love you, Sylvia. <laughs> We know so little about the future, and yet we are so willing 
to make all our own decisions and then just to trust God to bless us. Why not ask? Pray. Why do we pray? We pray because we have a need. We pray because we need wisdom, because we need guidance. We pray because we trust God. He sees the future. You can take any part of your life, any facet of your life, your whole life, and you can put it in his hand, and he is not going to mess it up. But you will. And I will. We take it and we say, I got this, Lord. Famous last words. We pray. We learn to pray, some of us in the school of hard knocks, because we need to trust him and not ourselves. When I was, before I was even saved, my grandmother taught me those wonderful words in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. That's what he wants to do. And he wants to do it for good. Matthew chapter 6. We're moving, in case you haven't noticed now, we're moving backwards. And then we're going into the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's probably not a Catholic in Spain or any other country, the ones that I go to, the Latin American countries, that doesn't pray this every day. This is a wonderful text for preaching the gospel. Yeah. Our Father, which art in heaven, if you have not been born again, God is not your Father. He's your creator. But he's not your Father. This is why the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, the religious Jew, the teacher in Israel, he said, you must be born again. Because Nicodemus was not one of them. There's only one way to get into God's family. And it's by being born into it. You must. There's some things you may do. There's some things you like to do. But you must be born again. And so I say to these people, did you pray well, they call it the Our Father, El Padre Nuestro. So did you pray the Padre Nuestro? Did you pray the Our Father today? Yes, I did, before I left the house. And another man said piously, I pray it every morning and every evening before I go to bed. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. And then they're shocked. <laughs> You're sorry to hear that? Did you know you just said a lie to God in prayer? You said, Our Father. And they just look at me. Well, they say it. They say it when they go to mass. They say it in the morning. They say it in the evening. They say it any time they get in trouble. They start praying the Lord's Prayer. Of all these children here tonight, which one of them is mine? Oh, I'd like to have them all. <laughs> but they're not my children. See, I know who my children are. Because my children, I have seven. They don't like to be called children anymore. <laughs> oh, that's tough. They're my children. And I know them because they were born into our family. And I saw every one of them. I was in the labor and delivery room. I saw all seven of them. And my wife says, well, you saw them, but I bore them. We know who our children are. They were conceived, and we saw them come into this world. 
There's a lot of intelligent and attractive and talented children. But they're not mine. There's a lot of people. This world is full of people. But not all people are God's children. Even though the nuns say that, there's one that comes by our chapel there in Seville, and she stops out there on the street, and she says, well, we're all children of God. And she's always like this. And she comes in and looks around in the chapel in there, and she says, where are all the saints? She's looking at the walls. Where are all the saints? It's all there sitting down over there. Well, we're all children of God. And no, I'm sorry. I don't know what to call her because it, it's hard for me to call her sister. <laughs> but sometimes I do. <clears throat> to be born into God's family, a person has to believe the gospel and trust in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, then the person is born again, the second time. And then you can say, our Father, which art in heaven. You don't want me to go into the part about the other Father who's on the earth, the God of this world. It says it in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were children of disobedience, walking according to the prince of this world. We were his children. And the Lord had to tell the religious Pharisees in his day, you are of your father the devil. So that's enough. Not everyone is God's father. But those of us who have him as father, this is a prayer for disciples. This is why you already know this. This is called the, really the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's prayer. This is how he taught the disciples to pray. But look what he said now. That's enough on that because I'm not going to preach the gospel. I don't have that much time left. But um, in verse 10 he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The very first request of the disciple, of the believer, in speaking to God are meant to focus him completely one of the great purposes of prayer that's often missed. Prayer is not simply for the purpose of convincing God to do our will. One of the purposes, we can pray and ask for things and make our requests known to him, and we should. I wouldn't discourage anyone from doing that. But you might as well know that there is another level and another facet to prayer, and it is praying that God's will will be done. Amen. It means to bring my will by spending time with God in prayer and meditating on his word and spending time alone with him to bring my will into conformity with his will. Not his into conformity with mine. Remember the arm wrestling. We're not doing that. Now it's okay to be earnest in prayer and to be sincere and to be fervent in prayer and to express our needs to God and to call on him in the hour of need and he will hear us and answer us. But it's another thing to use prayer as a manipulation and, and to keep saying like uh, when, are there any children here named Billy? I hope not. Okay, I'm just going to pick on Billy tonight. If there's someone here named Billy, I'll take you out and buy an ice cream later and we'll be friends. Billy wants mommy to let him go outside and play. Mommy wants Billy to do his homework. And so she says, when you finish your homework, but I want to go out now. My friends are already out there. Finish your homework, 10 more minutes and you'll be done. But I want to go out now. Can I go out now? Can I go out now? Can I go out now? I want to go out now. I want to go out now. And all that time he could be doing his homework. So what is he doing? And then starts the, <laughs> or whatever the particular noise is that he knows, because children are excellent psychologists. <laughs> whatever noise it is he knows that push, that does his mom's number, you know, that pushes her to the brink. You know, it might be high pitched, it might be low pitched, it might be tears, it might be foot stomping, it might be, there's a thousand different things. It could be some of them have an asthma attack and stop breathing, and that's all controlled by the will. And what are they doing? They're just trying to get their way. 
And they will, if you, the worst thing is for a parent, the worst thing is to give in to these things. Now we're all preparing on to family counseling. But the worst thing you can do is to give in. Because then he learns, he, in Billy's case, or little girls do it too, as cute as they are. They learn that if they do it enough, they're going to get their way. So it's manipulation. Thy will be done. You say, well, okay, it's a little child. He's learning. He doesn't know that. He's still developing as a person, and this is just one of the things that they seem to know how to do naturally. Okay, but how old are you? Shame on you. You ought to know better. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done when the Lord tells the angels to do something in heaven because it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How's God's will done in heaven? He tells the angel to do something. The angel says, Okay, I'll pray about that. <laughs> That's a famous one, isn't it? Have you ever heard that? You, you show somebody something from the street and say, Brother, I just want to share this with you, or sister, such and such a... Well, thank you. I'll pray about that. You'll what? Or the angel, the Lord tells the angel to do something. He says, well, okay, I appreciate your point of view, but I don't see it that way. <laughs> Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Instant, trusting, happy, complete obedience. You say, yeah, but that's the angels there in heaven. Yeah, but this is the Lord, and he's telling us to pray this way on earth. And he didn't make a mistake. So we pray to do God's will. We pray to have wisdom. We pray because we need guidance. We pray so that he can guide our steps. We pray even that we might live and do this or that. And we pray to do God's will. And when we don't pray, and we have ten minutes left, and I want to give you two examples out of the Old Testament, to show you what happens, some of you, you're well taught, so you know these examples, what happens when we don't pray and when we just do what we think is right. Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. <clears throat> now, I would like to think everyone here has read the Old Testament. I hope so. And if you haven't, you better start on it because I'm going to start asking. <laughs> Joshua chapter 9, the Lord up to this point had already warned the children of Israel when they came into the land that they were not to make any alliance with any of the people in the land. In that land, that's not Palestine. Okay, this is one of my pet peeves. You're just going to have to put up with it because old people, we have these things, you know. So it's not Palestine. It was the land of Canaan, and then it became the land of Israel. It's only called Palestine three times in the Bible, and there's some reference like to what the Romans called it and that sort of thing. It's not the land of Palestine. When the Romans conquered the Jews and took over the land, they called it the Latin word for the Philistines. The Latin word for Philistine is Palestina or Palestino. And that's what they call it. Instead of saying, uh, what is it, how do you say that in English? Philist Philistia or Philistia? I don't know how you say it. I can't speak English anymore. Something like that. Anyway, the land. The Romans called it Palestina. In order to aggravate the Jews and to humiliate them, they called it the land where the Philistines lived. And that's where it got its name. Palestine is the Roman word, the Latin word for Philistine. Well, so they move into the land. They were already warned, all these wicked nations, terrible things. That's another lesson, what was going on there. God was judging them and expelling them. And he said, you don't make any alliances with the people in this land. If they're a long way away, they live somewhere else, you can, have, you can make, uh, offer them peace. And if they'll make peace with you and live at peace with you, okay. But not anywhere right around here, not these people. So, you get into chapter 9 and it says... In verse 1, it came to pass when all the kings that were on this side of Jordan, in the hills and the valleys and in the coast, 
of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, heard thereof, they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. These are all the people that inhabited the land. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon, that's one of the people right there in the land, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they did work wilily or craftily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles old and rent and bound up in old shoes and clouded up their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy and they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league or a covenant or a pact with us. And so they asked them, where are you really from? Because they know they're not supposed to make any kind of deals with people in the land there. God was expelling those people. So I'm not going to read the whole thing because you'll have to go read it on your own. But it says in verse 12, This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go to you. But now behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they be rent, and our garments, our shoes, became old by reason of the very long journey. This is just what we call bald-faced lying. That's what we call it in the South. And the men, verse 14, the men took of their victuals, their food that is, and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, and made a league with them to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. So it wasn't just Joshua. It was all the men, the leaders of the twelve tribes. The head of each tribe was called a prince. So all these men are there, and they looked at the bread, and they looked at the clothes, they looked at all the stuff, they listened to the words these men said, and they fell for it. They didn't ask. All they had to do was say, we'll consult the Lord and get back to you. But maybe they thought like some of us. Well, we're adults. We can, we're capable of making decisions. Here they are. They, came, they said they came from a far country. Here's the evidence in front of us. The five senses are a very dangerous ground to go on in spiritual things. That's another story about Isaac, how he got fooled by one of his sons, and he trusted all of his five senses, and he got fooled completely and gave the birthright to the wrong son. So they trusted what they saw and what they heard, and they made a decision. Read the rest of the chapter. What a terrible decision it was. They went exactly against what God had told them ahead of time. He warned them not to do this. And how did they do it? Well, they're just like us. If you don't consult the Lord, you don't give him an opportunity to keep you from making a mistake. I can make mistakes. Lord knows I've made my share of them. It happens. But it happens when we don't give God a chance to answer us and to guide us. When we don't, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. When we don't say, if the Lord will, we will go here and do this or that. When we don't say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When, we got, when that's out of our focus, and we're running things, and we're making decisions, we're setting ourselves up. You say, you're trying to scare us. Yes, I am. <laughs> because it scares me to think what I can do on my own. There's a good thing, a good side to fear. You know, like when you get to the edge and you're looking over and it's a 100-foot drop and you start to lean a little bit and you go back, that's fear. You don't want to fall. And some people won't even get near the edge and they're smarter. That's an instinct that God has given us to keep us, to preserve us. Unless, of course, you like someone we know who jumped off the ladder when he was up on the roof of his house, but that's another subject. Now I'm in trouble with him. <clears throat> That's an instinct. Fear is a good thing. Be afraid of making a mistake. Don't be so certain that you can get God into a corner. Do you have a blue room in this building? 
Okay, you can take God into the blue room and tell him how things are going to be. Now, now listen, we're going to have a serious talk. I need to do this and this and this, and you're going to cough it up. You're going to do this. They didn't ask. Don't, don't you see how simple the lesson is? They didn't ask. And then there's another case where they asked, but that's a, a different story. Maybe we'll do that another night. I think we will. Maybe we'll do that on Friday. They asked, and then they didn't like the answer, so they did what they wanted to anyway. Real quick, Ruth, we got three minutes to do Ruth 1. Ruth's one of my favorite, it is my favorite book because it happens to be my favorite person. <laughs> but now look at verse 1, the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth starts off with what I like to call the prodigal family. The prodigal family. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Stop there. What did we say about the days of the judges? Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Well, guess what's about to happen? In the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. That's got to be the five saddest verses in the book of Ruth right there. Here's a man who made a decision based on circumstances. Hey, there's nothing to eat. What am I supposed to do? i got to feed my family. So up one day he gets... And they head out the gate of Bethlehem in the land that God had given to the nation of Israel and had divided it up to the tribes of Israel and this was their portion. God who had taken them out of Egypt and brought them into this land and he planted them there and he gave them a city. Well, in the days of the judges, they were being punished for their godlessness, for their faithlessness, for their worldliness. And one of the ways God punished them was he closed off the heavens, no rain, no crops, hard to eat. Sometimes other nations, like the Midianites, came in and took up all the harvest and either burned it or took it off and ate it. So for whatever reason, they didn't have any food. So what did they do? Well, he left, and he went to Moab. It was, a, it was one of the enemy countries. He left the country that God gave him. He left the place that God gave him, and he went there. You say, yeah, but come on, Carl. He had to eat. Be realistic. Don't be on this man's case. He's got a wife and two sons. What is he supposed to do? Okay, let me ask you a question. Was Bethlehem a ghost town after that? Everybody else stayed in Bethlehem. And it gets worse. Read chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Boaz didn't leave. And he had a lot of resources. And read to the end, read the end of chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her. And they returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. The what? Oh. And what about all those other people? Verse 19, so uh, they too went until they came to Bethlehem. It came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them and they said, is this Naomi? All the city. Oh, oh, I get, you mean all those other people who didn't leave and go away to Moab. All of those people who stayed in Bethlehem. They didn't have to leave. They weren't going to die of starvation. They made it. 
And not only that, chapter 2, we saw that he had a, a wealthy kinsman there, a, a mighty man in that city who could have helped him out. Oh, then why did he do that? Well, we'll never know until maybe the Lord tells us when we get to heaven. But he just up one day and said, we're out of here. And I don't know if he tried to excuse it by saying, well, the Lord's called us to go to Moab. You know, when people want to do something, they can put the best construction on it. You know, they made up their mind and they packed their stuff and out that gate they went. If you had told them, Elimelech, there's going to be three funerals in Moab. Three tombstones. You and your two sons are never going to see Israel again. You're never going to come home. You're never going to make it. You're going to Moab looking for life and all you're going to find there is death. Well, somebody could have told him. The Lord could have told him. Well, what's missing in verses 1 to 5? And with this we're closing. What's missing in verses 1 to 5? Prayer. No prayer. They just left. Waiting for people to say, well, the Lord bless you, but how's the Lord going to bless you in Moab? And if you abandon the people of the Lord when times are hard, when he sends blessing there, you won't be there to get it. So, why do we pray? Because we need wisdom. Because we need guidance. Because we need to know God's will. We need his hand in our affairs. We need to learn to do his will. We need to believe, we need to trust him and to believe that his will is better than ours. And because of the things that can happen when we don't pray. The devil learn, loves to deal with people who don't pray. They're easy to fool. They're easy to tangle up. They're easy to damage because they're not in constant communion with the Almighty. What were the first words that Samuel, when he was a little boy in the temple, what were the first words he said when he prayed that night? Speak, Lord. That was his first prayer. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. That's a good way to start praying. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful tonight for the wonderful privilege that we have and also our greatest need to pray, to be in the presence of the Almighty. And we confess we lack wisdom that we are incapable of guiding our own lives. We need that view of the future and of every detail of our lives, that wisdom and that love and that power that can guide us down life's pathway safely. And we pray, as the disciples said so long ago to the Lord Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.